Hi, friends. Before we jump into this week's episode, just a few thoughts. This is Will Parker, host of Principal Matters, the school leaders podcast. And the recording that you're getting ready to listen to, the episode that Jen Schwanke and I do, we recorded um, several weeks ago. So I wanted to say some things, especially if you're listening to this during Thanksgiving week. And that is just, I want to say how much gratitude that I have for your willingness to learn together. Um, so often people ask me in this work that I do, uh, do I enjoy the work? And the answer is yes. Um, when else do it, when else does someone get to experience the joy of working with people who care so much about others? And that's you, you care so deeply about your schools, about your communities, and I also know you care deeply about the people that you love the most, your family. And and saying that, I do want to tell you something really personal. Um, back in March, I I we lost my father um, at the age of eighty two, and just this past week, uh, we got news that my mother had passed away at the age of eighty three. And um, I know you are familiar with the stories of how common it is for couples who've been together for so long. This would have been their sixtieth wedding anniversary this month, and so um, so just an encouragement to, as you're gathering with the people that you love the most over these next few days, hug those you love, cherish every moment with the people who you get to spend the time with, because uh, those moments are ones that memories that are going to be so important to you in the years to come. But um, I just, so I just wanted to say that, that personal note, um, I want to wish you the best as you step into this holiday and I hope that uh, if you're not listening to this until after Thanksgiving, even when you hear this, I, I just hope that um, as you step into the the craziness of, because it is for schools, the craziness of the holiday season, um, that you keep um, remembering that, that what you do is so important. So thank you for doing what matters. Happy uh, Thanksgiving, and I hope you enjoy this week's episode. Principal Matters Podcast, Episode 371. Hi, friends. This is Will Parker, host of Principal Matters, the school leaders podcast, where each week we bring you inspiring, innovative, and imaginative ideas for your own school leadership. This week, I'm back with our co-host, Jen Schwanke, Deputy Superintendent from Dublin City Schools and the author of several great books on school leadership. Jen um, this recording may be coming out, who knows, in October, November, but you and I have spent a semester of being back in school, and I know the listeners have too. Uh, we also have been helping do some virtual sessions together with the National Association of Secondary School Principals with their Ignite Plus series on school wellness. So if you're not a member of NASSP and you'd like to be, you can jump on their website and find out more about how to participate with Jen and me in those sessions. But Jen, this week, I want to talk about simplicity is not necessarily easier. And there's a reason I want to set this up. But before I do, I just want to say welcome back. It's great to see you. Um, any thoughts as people are stepping into fall? Uh, because this is, you know, it's a little bit after the the uh, excitement of the newness of school as we're looking towards Thanksgiving or Christmas breaks. 
right? We're in, we're in the thick of it right now. Um, what I do love about the school calendar is there are those breaks, the Thanksgiving breaks coming and then a winter break, and then we'll go into the doldrums of winter. And you and I all have to talk about that because we do, we do every year. And then we'll round the corner till till home. Time time goes quickly, but I'm excited about this topic, Will, because one of my favorite mindsets is when I remind myself that simple doesn't mean easy. So you you have some thoughts. You have a story to tell. Why don't I you do. start dig in? Yeah. Well, this is a story I came across actually when I was traveling to do a a speaking event, and I was looking for something interesting to listen to or watch while flying, and I came across a documentary called The Biggest Little Farm. And it's the story of a young couple, um, John and Molly Chester, who founded a farm called Apricot Lane Farms in 2011 in Moore Park, California. And so I want to set the stage because watching this documentary, which John is not only a farmer, but he also does video, they chronicled the seven years of their first um, years of farming this place that they had bought. This was a a 200 acre piece of land that had been abandoned by previous farming attempts and the soil, which had once uh, boasted orchards was, it was just dead. Um, it had been uh, hurt through chemicals. The irrigation pond was empty. And this young couple with the help of an older farmer, whose name was Alan York, they were envisioning how can we start a traditional style farm? They had always wanted this traditional style farm so that they could raise animals and sell produce, but in a way that was reminiscent of the old farm styles where you had a variety of fruit trees and a blend of farm animals, ducks and chickens and pigs. You know, when you think of um, the the old the children's books, they, they wanted that kind of farm. And even though that sounded idealistic, they knew there had to be a way to introduce that kind of farming if they took really good care of the soil. And now, Jen, you, you and I both grew up in farm areas. And so I have to admit, when I was watching this documentary, I was actually really skeptical because I was like, this is not going to work. But I, I, the, and he kind of sets the documentary up in a way too, where you're not really sure how it's going to end. But I'll, 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 again, just summarize quickly what happens here. So in a, they had some investment help in putting together a, a team of people to help them. And they hired a lot of young people. They built this incredible, robust composting system. They refilled the irrigation pond. They introduced animals back. And you get to watch the, both the trials and the failures and the discoveries of what happens over the years at this farm. Eventually, they begin to see the ground cover flourish. They begin to see the fruit trees grow. They begin to see the animal life grow. But they also see some things they didn't expect, like aphids that are coming in and killing their plants, but they don't have um, any... Um, any other uh, ladybugs yet that, that can help fight them off. They have um, starlings that are coming in and eating their fruit, but they don't have any other birds that can run off the starlings. They, they have um, maggots that are growing in the, in the manure that's happening, but they haven't figured out yet that chickens eat maggots. And so they, they're as young farmers, they haven't figured out the designs yet and the complexities that help one part of the farm help the other. And so you get to watch them with all these setbacks and with all this, all these difficulties eventually get to the part of the story where things begin to flourish. And there's one quote that I want to pull here for principal managers listeners, because there's a reason that I brought the story to Jen and me today and for you. And that is that um, the Alan, who is the old 
um, farmer keeps telling them that complexity and diversity in an ecosystem will eventually lead to simplicity, but it will never mean easy. And when I read that, I just had to stop and write it down because Jen, I brought this question back to school leaders and I asked them, when you think about the culture of your farm, your school, what are you doing that's focusing on the complexities and the diversities that are going to lead to the kind of soil that's necessary for good growth? And what does that soil look like? What composes the soil of good schools? So I want to just pause there because I know you have some thoughts before I step back into like, how might the story of an old traditional farm becoming a new thing again, help us as leaders think about cultivating the right kinds of environments for growth in our schools? Well, and I have, I have thoughts. I told you that before we started recording, I have thoughts, um, you know, growing up on a farm, my, my dad's farm is an organic farm. So he uses no pesticides, um, only natural fertilizer. And he's obviously, he goes against the grain, right? Because what he's chosen is a long-term um, outcome. Mm -hmm. He wants his farm to be fertile long after he's gone. So I, that's the first lesson that I take from this is you have to think long-term. You can't just, you know, if you have gophers, you, you can't just shoot them and think that solves your problem because there's going to be other gophers that come, right? Mm -hmm. um, when I was a little girl, um, groundhogs, we call them, would come and dig these holes in the hay fields. And th this was problematic for two reasons. One is the um, hay, hay bine could pop a tire cause a lot, cost a lot of money, delay the whole process. Or one of our horses, we weren't Amish, but I rode horses through the fields. They could break a leg and, and have to be put down. So groundhogs bad. So what did we do? We didn't shoot them. We got a dog who would hunt the groundhogs. So what I love about this documentary and the way you lay it out is there is a reaction necessary to problems, mm -hmm. but it shouldn't be the quick fix. It shouldn't be the thing that um, maybe a vendor is advertising to us or that a glossy new textbook feels like it will fix or, um, you know, well, let's just make a new rule to fix that problem. You have to think through the repercussions of any action before you actually put it into place. And that leads me to my second thought, but I saw you take an intake of breath there, Will. So tell me what you think. No, I'm going to hold it because I want to hear that. Okay. <laughs> so my second, second thought is this documentary, these farmers, seven years, seven years is a long time, right? And so we have Mike and Molly Chester and they get this farm and they probably think, oh, this is going to be a great idea. But did they know seven years? Similarly, principals, school leaders, when we start a new initiative, often we want immediate results, right? We say, okay, this is what we're going to do. And this is what's going to occur. And then we're so upset when we don't have the immediate results. So my my point here is patience is such a virtue. Patience is so important when we're working with people because we can't say, okay, here's this new thing we're going to try. Is it working? Is it working? Is it working? Because it that that's what makes people think, oh, another flash in the pan just to get through this and they'll move on. If we are truly committed to cultivating soil, to cultivating environments in our schools, we have to have patience. Just chill out, man. It Let, let the thing work. Let it let it settle, see what the outcome is. I think a lot of times our rush to want immediate results comes from our insecurities. We don't want to be wrong. We don't want to have made a mistake. 
Um, but it's wise, I think, to say, let's let's give it a minute. And I have about 15 examples I could give of that. But let me turn it over to you to see what you're responding, what, what yeah, you're thinking. Well, yeah, I want to respond to both of those. First of all, um, when you were talking about in the experience that you had growing up with, you know, gophers and finding that a farm dog could help you eliminate them. Um, there's a quote that I wrote down in the documentary where John he's John Chester is the voice narrating the documentary. And he says, quote, coexistences can't be forced. It's a delicate, delicate, patient dance. And then he gives examples. Ducks eat snails, chickens eat maggots. And so eventually they realize that the systems that they've created with soil, trees, animals reached a tipping point. And when they began to figure out which parts of the farm needed to help support the other parts, in your case, a farm dog, in their case, they've realized that ducks could eat the snails that were attacking their fruit trees. Then they began to discover that this coexistence was actually a way for them to find solutions. And John says in the documentary that he had to learn to just slow down and observe the patterns and what was happening before making a decision on what to do next. And so that leads to your second point, which is that growth takes patience. And um, I, I really appreciate my friend Jimmy Casas when it comes to this point, because you know research shows, and Jen, you and I both have read a lot of research about education leadership, that significant change in student improvement in any school, if you look at what the research says, how long does it take for significant change to happen over time? And it usually takes three to five years. But Jimmy will often say in those settings, we know what the research says. So one, we need that long-term perspective. But then two, we also don't need to just give up that, oh, we can't make a difference today because it's going to take three to five years. There's actually something you can be doing right now in the very moment that you're in that could be contributing to the culture and the, and the environment that's going to make that happen in three to five years. Right. And so I think it's important when we think about the soil of our school, which is the culture, which are the people that we ask ourselves that question, how do we both keep the present in mind? What are we doing today that's cultivating good soil and relationships? Because we recognize what it's going to do down the road. Right. Support for Principal Matters comes from Aptigy. More than 3,500 school districts have switched to Aptigy since 2016 for one reason. Aptigy powers the identity of your school. We all know that communication is important, but what are you communicating? If it's just information, you're missing an opportunity to build a school brand around your strengths and values. What I love about Aptigy is how they think and talk about communication as a critical component of building your brand that engages your entire school community. With the Thrill Share platform, Aptigy brings everything you need for school marketing and communications together into a single mobile app. Write a story once and send it across your school website and mobile app, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, text messages, and voice calls. By making it easy to share stories about your strengths, you can control the conversation around your brand. Learn more about Aptigy at aptigy.com and tell them that Principal Matters sent you. Support for Principal Matters comes from DigiCoach and its walkthrough tool. I want you to picture walking through classrooms, observing teachers and students. In just 10 minutes, 
you hope to see good instructional strategies and student learning taking place, or maybe you have some questions about something missing from instruction or planning. Instead of taking 30 minutes to write a follow-up email or leaving your teacher unsupported, wouldn't it be great to have an app on your phone or tablet where you could send immediate feedback while also collecting data? Enter DigiCoach, a customizable walkthrough and coaching tool created by school leaders for school leaders with thousands of pre-written, research-based commendations and coaching tips empowering you to provide quick, actionable feedback. DigiCoach is not an evaluation tool. Instead, it is an easy-to-use feedback and coaching tool, an efficient way to store your notes and to collect data for improving student outcomes right in your hands. It can be used on iPhone, Android, or tablets and includes speech-to-text functions. Make the most of your walkthroughs with a tool that saves you time and enhances meaningful feedback to your teachers. Go to digicoach.com to learn more, and please tell them Principal Matters recommended you check them out. That's digicoach.com. I was reminded of that exact thing a couple of weeks ago. Last year, I had advocated in my district for a kind of rethinking a certain position. And honestly, then I kind of forgot about it. I moved on. There were a lot of other pressing initiatives. And so another member of my team emailed and said, Hey, what's happening with this position? And you know what I did? I said, Oh my gosh, this was such a stupid idea. I never should have advocated for this. What a misstep. I take all the blame. Let's figure this out so we can switch it by second semester. And then here came my friend, Chris, and he's like, hold on, hold on. The question was just what's happening with this, not what a mess. Let's kill this. It was, Hey, let's have an update. And I thanked him. I said, my goodness, that's what I needed. I, my insecurities about my idea overtook my willingness to say, well, I don't know what is happening. Mm -hmm. And I needed that person to say, we have time. Let's not throw out this whole entire plan because we're not sure what's happening to it. He reminded me to be patient and, and look into it and tweak if necessary, but my goodness, don't just push the eject button and call it a failure. I love that. Now I'm going to, um, if I can remember it, with the show notes for this post, Jen, I'm going to put a link to a, a short, like four minute summary of of this documentary because th- this isn't something I expect my you know listeners, you guys go out and watch an hour and a half of this documentary, but 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 what I I actually found a short version of it and I showed it to some leaders recently in some PD I was doing and I just asked them this question. I said, what are the ecosystems of your school community that make up its soil or culture? And and Jen, they immediately, I made a list of what they said. They said, student populations, teacher mindsets, our staff morale, our parents, the support of our leaders, the political and institutional forces around us, and the expectations that we all share. And I, I wrote that list down because I was like, spot on. You know, these leaders recognize immediately that the culture of your school is complex. It is. I love that list. And the only thing I would add to it is history. Mm. Because I think so many principals are simultaneously trapped by and, um, and are held back by whatever's happened before. And I think that's true in ecosystems in nature too, right? I, I, as you were talking about 
the, you know, John and Molly Chester, it probably occurred to them, gosh, I wonder what this farm looked like before humans walked the earth. Mm -hmm. What was the ecosystem there? What came before us? You know, did somebody remove the ducks? Did somebody take away the chickens? And so the maggots were able to proliferate? What What is it that keeps things in balance? And so similarly, I think principals need to simultaneously honor and respect the history of a, of a school, but also lead beyond it. Mm. Education has changed so much in the last few decades. Any school, I've said this before, any school that's operating like they did in the 80s needs to take a hard look at it at itself and say, okay, this was the ecosystem before. There's something holding us back from going into a new ecosystem. How can I honor the feelings and the history and the the um, anxieties of those who resist change, but also push for change? And that involves creating a new ecosystem, right? Not brand new, components of the old ecosystem, but honoring your school's history along with all of those things mentioned by your group helps principals, I think, to not look oblivious to what has become before them. So Jen, what I want to do right now is um, I want you to pretend for a moment that you're not talking to me, but that you're talking to a school leader who may be listening to this, who maybe they're facing staff division, or maybe they're in a, a school culture that feels kind of toxic. And, you know, Anthony Muhammad's book, Transforming School Culture, he he there's a quote of his that I really admire where he says, there's a difference between fixing and transforming a school culture. Um, and then he warns in that same book that best practices, because you can research all the best things that students need for learning, they just won't work if your school culture is not healthy. So so I, pretend I'm that person on the other side of you for a moment who's asking you, what's the difference, Jen, between fixing and transforming school culture? Well, wait, I want you to go first. That's a hard question. <laughs> Am I, am I allowed to say, well, I don't know, Will, what do you think? Well, I, but, but I'll give it a, a swing. And what I would say the difference is time and patience. To transform a school culture, you have to make sure that you have the trust. You and I have talked about a lot about trust and leadership. You have the trust of your stakeholders and you have a vision and you, you're willing to let it happen naturally. Um, and again, that's where simple and easy come in. It's very simple. Keep things um, aligned. Make sure that you're building trust and move forward. That's not that doesn't mean it's easy. As a matter of fact, it requires great self-discipline to not jump in, try and fix things, try to change things, give somebody a scolding, um, remind people this is what we're doing here. You know, it, it's easy to to offer reprimands and disappointment when things don't go as we'd like the discipline comes in saying, no, this is all part of the process. This is exactly the path we're supposed to be on. It's going to be okay in the end. I have faith in my people. That That's where the discipline comes in, in terms of transforming. But let me throw this softball to you. What do you think? No. And so I'm going to piggyback on that because what I hear you saying is that school leaders have to recognize the diversity and complexity of the hats they have to wear if they're going to be leading a school community. And so let me just be the teacher for a moment because I, I can't help it. And any listener out there who's thinking about your own leadership, I just want you to reflect for a moment on the different roles and responsibilities 
that you're constantly stepping in and out of in this role, because being a school leader is not a uniform task. It's not even a binary task. It's a complex, a task of complexity. You are, and I'm just going to name some things you are. You're number one, you're a decision maker. People are relying on you to make the final decisions when all the information's understood, when everybody's had their opinions made, when all the facts are discovered, somebody has to make the final call and that's you. And if you're making that decision based on fear or you're making that decision based on your ego, you're going to make the wrong decision. So you have to learn how to be a good decision maker. Two, you have to be a listener. Like you have to be somebody who's like really able to understand before you make a decision by listening to people and understanding them before just assuming what they need. And so that deep listening requires attention. It requires um, connectivity. It requires, it requires you to put your cell phone down and give them undivided attention. Um, three, you're, um, you're the accountability person and you're, you, you not only have to be accountable for the things you've signed up for, but you're also holding everyone else accountable for the work that they're doing. So you have to model a growth mindset and accountability. You're a, you're a team builder, you're a communicator, you're, you're also a person like, so you've got your own life outside of school. So Jen, I, and I'm not saying all these to overwhelm leaders, I'm just recognizing like in the soil of the school culture and the farm that you're building, you're a lot of things and you've got to have a lot of skills to do that. And it doesn't mean you figured them all out overnight, but it is important. And I, and I'm saying this to herald the work of principles. It's just important to realize that what you do requires a lot of skill and a lot of practice and a lot of time. And so if you're not getting it right, it's okay because none of us ever figures all these things out perfectly but that complexity is there for a reason. And it's there because the growth of flourishing, growing school doesn't happen overnight. And it doesn't happen because suddenly everything gets easy. It happens because you recognize all of these various roles and you are giving yourself permission to revisit them and to bring others into the process and over time find solutions at work. That doesn't right. sound like, by the way, anything I can sell. You know, (laughs) I can't come up with a polished way to sell a book on that, Jen, even though I've, you and I've tried to write books about these things and that's probably why they're not bestsellers. Um, But yours probably sell well, way better than mine, but, but, and I hope I'm communicating my heart, but my heart is that um, I work with a lot of leaders who just do amazing work. And some of them have beautiful flourishing schools. And then I work with some leaders who are really struggling because they're in cultures that are toxic and they're trying to make a difference. But what I hear sometimes from leaders in in either of those settings is is kind of the yearning that at some point will this get easier? And the answer to that question, and I hate to say this, Jen, because it doesn't sound very nice, is no. It may get simpler, but leadership is never going to get easy. If it was, everybody would be the leader. Well, exactly. And leaders are constantly tested. They're constantly tested even when something is a deeply entrenched system of positive culture, they're going to be tested. Um, And I want to go back, Will, to something you said just a few minutes ago, because I think it's pretty important. And you were talking about listening. You told me a story, we were actually chatting about an hour ago about this offline. And you told me that you had been contacted, you're, you're doing this work full time now supporting principals. 
and you had been contacted by someone who said, you know, I need, I need all this PD for my leadership team. I need you to come in. I need... So you wrote proposals and you went back and forth. And then you talked to this person and you realized, and you said to him, you don't need me. You don't need me. You've got what you need. And were it not for your listening, you wouldn't have known that what he really needed was a friend to support him, validate what he was going through and honor the process with him. And so, you know, you could have said, sure, hire me. I'll come in and do some PD, but you didn't, you listened and you filled that need. And I think that's not only admirable and uh, um, deserving a shout out, but I think that's what principals can do to themselves and to people they work with active mm. listening to say, okay, what am I hearing about my school's ecosystem? What is it that's hard that maybe I can simplify? How can I remind people that it, of course, this work isn't easy. There's never going to be a day where you, where you work with young people and you go home and say, well, that was easy. It's not what it is. <laughs> that's not the work we chose. Well, Jen, as we wrap this up, thank you for that. I, I just want to say a couple of things. Um, Two, two more things. One is that t today, and you can go online and look this up, or you can even visit the farm. Apricot Lane Farms is a bountiful traditional farm uh, that sells produce throughout Northern California. They, they, there are tours available and they're sold out every season. And John and Molly Chester's dreams of that traditional farm, they they became a reality and they continue today with but it requires constant care, constant problem solving, intentionality, and maintaining the, the healthy ecosystem that was built through their beautiful ground soil and all the systems that they created farming. I also ran into a friend of mine who does farming here locally. And I asked him about this documentary and he said he loved it too. He said, I met an intern that worked on that farm and he got to tell me some of the backstory too, you know, because the documentary is a very romantic telling of both the hard, but the happy ending. And he said, but you know, there are other stories about that farm that they're not going to put in the documentary that aren't quite as romantic because it's hard work. Right. And it just confirmed to me what I was trying to pull from that story though, which is that, and so I'm speaking this to school leaders. Sorry, Jen, I, I hope this resonates with compassion and, and, and with sincerity. It will, it will. But, but <laughs> so let me try really hard. You are right now, there's someone listening to my voice and, and you're, you're leading a school in a way that, that you, that the, the practices and the heart and the, the team building and all the things that you're doing are making a difference. And just because bad things keep happening and just because it's doesn't seem to be getting easier, doesn't mean your school's not getting better and improving or growing. And, and sometimes you may need someone else to take a look at your school for you. And to be that third person on the outside, to, to just tell you um, that, wow, there, there are some things that are flourishing and growing here that are are worth celebrating. And, and so I just want to speak to that leader who's working hard and doing the right things, that your, um, your continued, the continued tensions and conflicts and things that you're facing do not define that this work is not going right. Because you and I both know, Jen, that every beautiful school we've ever visited is also managing difficulties and problems and crisis. And, and, but, there, but, but the school is still a place where I would want my children to be. And so don't allow the, the glamour, the shine, the stories, even the guests that we bring into this story, the show, or even 
the stories Jen and I tell to give you some false impression that that the complexities and the and the hard work of school leadership means things are easy. Right. And that's the whole purpose of this post was I just wanted to remind you today, listeners, that simplicity and leadership does not always equal easier. It may mean better, but it may not always mean easier. And if the, I, I don't know if that's helpful, but I certainly wanted to say it. Well, I think it's really important. It reminds me of, of that. I, I've told this before on the podcast. I had a assistant hired to work with me as a principal and she said, oh my gosh, you're so experienced. I feel like a mess. I don't know how I'm going to work with you. And I said, girl, I am a mess. You just give me a few months and you'll see. And about six months later, she came back and said, oh yeah, you're just a mess like the rest of us. We're all, it, we all get in the in the muck of it, right? And many, many days, even the most experienced, confident principals think, did I even do anything good today? Yes, 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 you did. Absolutely, you did. It's a long game. We have to have patience and keep building that ecosystem. Oh, I love that. Well, Principal Matters listeners, this week, as you're stepping into your leadership, think about some of these questions. Um, What would you identify as the systems that are making up either healthy or toxic cultures that you're managing? And and then what are the steps that you're taking to address those? Because it makes a difference that you even recognize it. Two, how can you be intentional in nourishing those environments that you know are conducive to strong student outcomes? So keep building those relationships with kids and teachers and families because they matter. And then today, just think about one thing. What's one thing you can do today that might lead to some more simplicity in the way that you're working because you know that eventually it's going to lead to better growth, even if it doesn't make things quote unquote easier. And so thank you so much, Jen, for this opportunity to reflect and Principal Matters listeners. Thank you for the opportunity to learn with you. And until next time, thanks for doing what matters. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, everyone. You can find free resources like this one at my website at williamdparker.com. Check out the services link on williamdparker.com to learn more about leadership academies, mastermind offerings, and executive coaching. If you're planning professional development for the year ahead or you're looking for keynote presentations from any of my books, please email me at will at williamdparker.com. Thank you for learning together today. And thanks again for doing what matters.